Welcome, Welcome back. back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're off to a great start with this hematology topic. And this is still Sam. And this is Corrine. And we are two Oncdocs. So today's episode is going to be focusing on the highest yield facts for about aplastic anemia. This is going to include the mechanism of aplastic anemia, our diagnostic workup, the treatment, and also the evolution of clones, including PNH. And so tell us what is aplastic anemia and PNH, also known as paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria. So aplastic anemia is an acquired bone marrow failure disorder that affects all three lines of cells. So bone marrow failure disorders are disruptions in the hematopoietic stem or progenerator cell homeostasis and function that leads to diminished production of white blood cells, red blood cells, and platelets. If it's acquired, these can have rapid onset of symptoms. And so these patients will have prior normal CBCs, no family histories. Sometimes these are preceded by viral illnesses and they can be associated with other autoimmune problems. So think about thyroid dysfunction, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. Yeah. And they also love to give the thymoma vignette too with aplastic anemia. And so what causes aplastic anemia? So aplastic anemia occurs in mid-childhood as well as adults, usually over the age of 50. The most important thing that we need to do when we're diagnosing aplastic anemia is to rule out hypoplastic MDS. They look and act very similar. 75 to 80% of cases are idiopathic or immune mediated and three to five are related with drugs such as chemotherapies, anti-epileptics, benzenes, pesticides. Hepatitis can also lead to aplastic anemia as well as other viruses such as EBV, HIV, and parvo. When aplastic anemia is immune mediated, which is what we're going to focus the majority of this talk on, because this is what we see in the adult realm, it is driven by autoreactive T cells. The pathology of this is a naive T cell being activated against an autoantigen. It gets expanded and differentiated, and this then drives cytokine stem cell apoptosis, a reduction in the cells leading to bone marrow aplasia. It's a mouthful to say, but if you think about it, that's how we go from activating the T-cell to then now targeting the bone marrow. And now we don't have a bone marrow. Yeah, they do like some of these pathophysiology questions on the heme board. So it is important to remember. And so how do these patients present? So they present based on their cytopenias. So they can have fatigue, weakness, pale headaches if they have anemia, petechiae, bleeding of the mucous membranes, epistaxis if they have thrombocytopenia, fever and infections, which is associated with the neutropenia component. And then how do we define the severity of a plastic anemia? So the most important thing to think about for aplastic anemia is that all cases show marked reduction in hematopoiesis. So this is low amount of CD34 cells in the marrow. We then can think about their severity in three basic categories, moderate or non-severe, which has decreased bone marrow cellularity and peripheral cells, but it does not meet severe criteria. So what's severe criteria? That is when bone marrow cellularity is less than 25% and two of the following. ANC less than 500, platelets less than 20,000, or reticulocyte counts less than 60,000. And very severe aplastic anemia meets the severe criteria plus having the ANC less than 200. So even worsening neutropenia to get us from severe to very severe aplastic anemia. Yeah, and as Sam mentioned, really 
commit to memory that bone marrow that is hypocellular and is replaced by fat cells and marrow stroma. So Mm -hmm. it'll be that picture with the big white goblets and minimal cells. And make sure you look at that photo and commit it to memory because it will come up on internal medicine and your heme boards. And so how do we treat patients that have aplastic anemia? thing we need to think about are what is the age of our patient? If a patient is younger, which is defined by less than 40, and they also have an HLA match sibling, we need to consider them for a match donor bone marrow transplant. Everyone else, we start thinking about immunosuppressive agents targeting the T cells, which again is driving this process. So we use drugs like ATG, cyclosporin, alemtuzumab, or even mycophenolate mofetil. And so our frontline treatment for aplastic anemia is ATG plus cyclosporin A. There are two types of ATGs. There is horse and rabbit, and studies have shown that horse is superior to rabbit. I remember this because alphabetically, H for horse comes before R for rabbit in the alphabet. So we utilize rabbit in the second line setting and horse up front. Adverse events and side effects with ATG include infusion reactions, anaphylaxis, and most commonly serum sickness. This is what you're going to be asked about and what you're going to see in the real world. We treat and prevent serum sickness with the use of prednisone. Cyclosporin A is the second drug in this combination, and we maintain a trough level of 200 to 350 nanograms per milliliter. And we start weaning the cyclosporin A off the patients at about six months to one year after the completion of ATG. And this is a very slow, slow, slow wean. We decrease their dose by 20 to 25% every three months. And this is hopefully to prevent a rebound relapse with these patients. Yeah, it's important. Like you said, you give it a minimum of six months for that cyclosporine. And I really like that mnemonic, you know, remembering the horse, the H before the R, the rabbit. And so how do we support patients with these treatments and aplastic anemia? So we got to think about their cytopenias. So there is definitely infectious disease prophylaxis, including anti-PJP if the ANC is less than 500 and also antifungal prophylaxis. We need to also think about the transfusions for these patients and they all have to be leukoreduced and irradiated. This reduces our risk of alloimmunization over time. The use of GCSF is very controversial in aplastic anemia. And if you think about the mechanism of how GCSF works, there really isn't a role because they don't, these patients don't have CD34 cells to then stimulate into white blood cells. Same thing for EPO. Most patients, they'll have elevated EPO levels already. Their body's trying to stimulate the production of red blood cells. They just don't have those CD34 cells to actually put them out. One last thing we need to think about in these patients is yearly screening for PNH clone. And then what about the addition of a thrombopag? Great question. There was initially a blood article in 2014 that added L-thrombopeg in the refractory patient setting, and then it moved up front in a New England Journal of Medicine article published in 2017, where they added L-thrombopeg to the upfront regimen for up to six months. What this study saw is 85 to 90% overall response rates, 35 to 40% were complete responses, so that's pretty darn good, but there was a low risk of clonal evolution at about 5 to 10%. So I think really we can add a thrombopeg to the upfront setting. And if not, we can add it in the second line setting. And then how do we gauge the response to these treatments? So completely 
Complete response is the normalization of blood counts. Partial response is transfusion independent and having an ANC greater than 500. And failure is when the aplastic anemia relapses or we have a robust clonal progression. And then if they fail to these treatments, what is the next best course of action? So the next best course or subsequent lines of therapy is a second course of immunosuppressive agents. This is when we utilize the rabbit ATG. We also start thinking about alternative donor transplants if the patients are young and they have a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 match. Considering adding a TPO memetic if it wasn't used prior, you can also think about doing alentuzumab, which is a pan T-cell monoclonal antibody in the second line setting. And then can you just recap, because I know you just went over a lot, how do you stratify these patients and determine the best treatments? After the diagnosis of severe aplastic anemia, first think about the patient's age. If they're less than 40 years old and have an HLA-matched sibling, you move forward with matched sibling donor stem cell transplant. If they're greater than 40 years old or they don't have an HLA-matched sibling, you think about immunosuppressive therapy. Frontline horse ATG plus cyclosporin A. If you have response at three to six months, you can start tapering that cyclosporin A and watch them closely. If you do not have a response at three to six months, consider are they still a stem cell transplant? If yes, think about matched unrelated or haploidentical donors. And if they are not a stem cell transplant, think about second course of immune suppressive drugs, think about the TPO memetics, and also supportive care for these patients. Great. And then can these patients develop clonal hematopoiesis? Yes, they can. 70% of aplastic anemia patients will develop clonal hematopoiesis. So some have no clear leukemia disposition, but also some can be very aggressive. They mirror the mutations that are seen in MDS. So think about the monosomy 7s, the trisomy 8s, the complex cytogenetics, DNMT3A, and also TP53s. And then what about PNH clones? Who has those and what do they mean? Up to 50% of aplastic anemia patients will have a PNH clone, but thankfully most of them are subclinical and we don't have to worry about them. As we recall, PNH is an acquired mutation in the PIGA gene, which is XP22.2, and that leads to the loss of the GPI anchored cell surface proteins. This is loss of CD55 and CD59. This leads to complement activation and intravascular hemolysis as well as thrombosis. If the patient is symptomatic or has a large clone greater than 30%, you can treat them with complement inhibition, think about ecolizumab, and also consider stem cell transplant. And the point about thrombosis in these patients is really important. Um, You know, they may give you the vignette patient presents with abdominal pain, so they can have weird thrombosis, and then they can have hematuria. Um, The important thing to know is that if they have a blood clot, they need lifelong anticoagulation. And it was controversial, but the overall consensus is that there's no role for prophylactic anticoagulation. And so that was a really great summary on a difficult topic to cover in a short amount of time. And so Sam, what are our key points for plastic anemia? Key points are aplastic anemia is an acquired bone marrow failure disorder. It affects all three lines of cells. 
The majority of cases are immune-mediated and driven by that autoreactive T-cell population. Our treatment for aplastic anemia includes, if the patient is less than 40, HLA-matched donor sibling for a bone marrow transplant. For all others, we think about frontline ATG and cyclosporin. Again, when we're talking about ATG, we know that horse is better than rabbit. Think about that alphabetically. And the addition of L-thrombopeg will increase our overall response rates, but it does have a mild risk of increased clonal evolution. The second line treatments for aplastic anemia include a second course of immunosuppressive drug. This is when we utilize rabbit ATG. We also think about alternative donor transplant. We think about adding a TPO mimetic if it wasn't used prior, and we can think about alentuzumab also. The last thing that we need to think about is that patients, 50% of aplastic anemia patients will have a PNH clone. Most are subclinical, but if they are symptomatic, you can treat them with ecolizumab. So as always, thank you for listening. And uh, I hope that everybody that has the weekend off uh, has a good long weekend and enjoy the rest of your medical school year this year. Yeah. Get ready for summer guys. And we'll see you next week.